Welcome to Allergy Dragon's Lair podcast, wherever you are listening. My name is Martha Morgan. I'm a specialty diet and allergy chef, mother to a child with over 30 food allergies. I know I always say that I have really awesome guests and I have a special guest, and but it's the truth. Okay, come on. I say it every time and I mean it. I'm really super excited for this episode, but before I introduce our guest, let me go over our disclaimer. The views expressed here on our show are the personal opinions and life experiences of ours and our guests. We are not healthcare providers or doctors. Please seek advice from your healthcare professional or any diagnosis or changes to your healthcare plan. Now we get to jump into the fun part. I get to introduce my guest. Her name is Zoe and she is here in Louisville, Kentucky with me. So how amazing is that? We're in Louisville, Kentucky and a fellow allergy expert because they have to live it. Zoe, thank you for coming onto the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited for you to be here too, if you can't tell. (laughs) So Zoe, I met you um, through Rainbow Blossom uh, Wellness Wednesday that I was at. And we talked a few months ago and it was just an amazing conversation. You always stuck around in my head. Then you came to one of my cooking classes and I don't know, just a continued friendship basically and camaraderie in the kitchen with food allergies. And so Zoe, I want to know, can you share with us, tell people about yourself, your allergy journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I have had my food allergy. It's a peanut allergy I like to say that I'm airborne uh, reactive and cross contact reactive. So even like trace amounts, dust of peanuts, you know, puts me into a potentially life threatening reaction. And it's always been that way. So I was born in 1990 with eczema, which probably a lot of people listening know that's like a common sign of having a food allergy as a kid. But in uh, 1990, doctors at the time were advising parents to not give their children the top uh, allergens. And so they saw my eczema and they were like, because of this, avoid any allergies, especially peanuts. So that's what my family did. I didn't have any known exposures to like top allergens really until my dad gave me a peanut butter cookie when I was about two and a half and didn't realize it had peanut butter in it. And even to this day, I'm now 33. That's the only time I've ever ingested peanuts, uh, knowingly, at least like to that level. And I just really was acting funny is what my parents said. And they took me to the doctor and they're like, you know, avoidance is kind of the only thing. And I lived my, you know, teens and into my early twenties, like with just avoidance being, you know, to peanuts. And so I really kind of like learned trial and error. My allergy got worse as I had more reactions. So it was always bad, but I started noticing the airborne element and like the really sensitive to trace amounts element when I was in high school. Pretty much I went through like a decade phase after that of trying to figure out my allergy and being told by people, you know, maybe I was making it up, it was on my head. I ended up getting formal allergy testing, intradermal um, and testing done at the age of 23 in 2013 and was told falsely. I had two false negative reactions to peanuts and went into full anaphylaxis and almost died. It was very traumatic event that happened at a local like certified, you know, allergist office just was unfortunate on all aspects but I knew I was reacting to trace amounts and I didn't understand what my food allergy was behaving like. I felt like I didn't understand why I was having reactions. It was very unpredictable and I wanted to get some type of predictability to it and be able to follow it. So that's when I started learning and educating myself about the labeling laws around food allergies in the U.S. and realized like, wow, I'm probably accidentally ingesting like trace amounts of my allergen 
without realizing it. And it took me many years, honestly, to actually like cut out any brands and facilities that use peanuts. But now in 2023 and pretty much since like 2017, I've been eating exclusively for the most part from facilities that don't use peanuts. So that's how I'm managing it. Of course, I have pens and that kind of thing too, but that's my peanut food allergy journey. And I do have food intolerances and autoimmune stuff too, and environmental allergies, but my peanut allergy is like, if anyone can know anything about me, that's what I want them to know. Good to know. We know it's peanut. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I always like to say I'm one of the OG allergy moms, but really like your parents were like some OG allergy parents because like they really had no clue. Like, and you didn't, I mean, like I tell people, I'm like, we had dial up internet, like seriously, like, yeah, we didn't have Google. We didn't have any, like, I really feel for my mom because I'm like, you kept me alive single-handedly. Like she would just watch me, monitor me constantly. Pretty amazing food allergy parents. Yeah, exactly. Vesper, my youngest was 2002 when they was born. And so 2003, we had our first anaphylactic reaction. So then labeling law, you know, didn't go into effect until it will get passed until 2004, which didn't go into effect until 2005. And it's still not perfect so much. Right. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So I'm going to tell your parents the OG, OG allergy parents too. (laughs) (laughs) So you are the creator of Invisibly Allergic, which is a blog devoted to food allergies. Can you tell us why you created it and what you write about exactly? Yeah, sure. So once I had that anaphylactic episode at the allergist was kind of the pivotal point where I was like, I need to start educating myself because people aren't teaching these things anywhere. And so I started looking into it myself. And as I learned, I started getting honestly empowered. I was like, I can't believe I'm learning all this information to protect myself. I want other people to know that, you know, maybe food allergies are confusing in some ways, but it doesn't necessarily have to be because of the labeling. Because if you can look into a facility and find out peanuts are in the facility or your allergens in the facility, you know, that likely is a reason why you might be reacting to a product. So really getting that messaging out was my whole purpose of developing Invisibly Allergic. So I started, I felt too nervous to blog. um, And I felt like my story wasn't important, to be honest, for many years. And then um, my husband was kind of the one who urged me, he was like, you have to, like, just put it, put it out there. And what could go wrong, like share your story. And I found it really therapeutic to blog in general. And so I didn't even know if I had an audience, but I was sharing what I was learning, what I was finding out about labeling laws in the US, like how I can eat safely, travel safely. So really, I try to just cover topics that I don't see other people covering that I experience because I hope maybe someone will read it and think like, oh, I'm in the same boat as you. So that's, that's how it came about. And I have been updating it as time goes on with like terms. Like when I started blogging, I didn't even know about the term cross contact. So I've gone back and kind of tried to update it a bit, but it's not perfect. I would love to have more like travel guides and resources, but it's kind of like, I'm really proud of it. Honestly, it's something that I hope to just continue to always have as a resource online and I hope people can find it. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I think that you brought up such a good point, which is like, it's your personal story. So it's unique to you. And I think all of our journeys in this allergy world are completely valid and are very important. And if we don't spread our voices, then nobody hears us. Like all of us need to be talking. Yes, exactly. Totally. I know. I feel so like excited. I felt like, I don't know, for a long time, like, is is this important? Should I share my story? And like, everyone should share their story because it truly is like 
a food allergy spectrum I've learned. And so the more stories that get shared, the more people can see how it really can vary. And everyone's experience with food allergies is unique and valid. Exactly. And then when you add the autoimmune disease, because ding, 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 you know, I got a couple of them too. And, and food allergies, they're so fluid, like people don't understand it. And what, what was the same 10, 20 years ago, and that's for the person, you know, they ebb and flow, your allergies change, your autoimmune diseases change, what worked before does not work now. And we really need to share this information because if not, who else is going to, who else is going to help us through this? And even if, even if, you know, what you, what we say may not be considered someone quote unquote accurate or whatever, it's, it's accurate for us. And that's what we need to, to, to take away from this. I think yeah. is that I was scared to death to blog uh, as well. I was more scared to blog than I was to turn on the camera on the YouTube channel, believe it or not. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I I'm the opposite. I was like, I can blog ish. I'm behind a computer screen. <laughs> yeah. With dyslexia, thank goodness for Grammarly. That's all I got to say. They are not sponsored, but guys, if you want to hit me up, go Grammarly. <laughs> I love Grammarly too. I have the extension on my Chrome. So it actually like does it as I'm typing and I Mm -hmm. can't live without it now. (laughs) Same here. I like what you said though. Um, Honestly, I kind of had forgotten about it, but with my allergy evolving, I had to update friends on what was okay for me and what wasn't. And I felt really awkward and unsure about that sometimes because people would be like, well, we've eaten at this restaurant before, or we have already done that before together. So now you're saying you can't do those things. And it was like, at the more information I learned, the more I was like, I do have to put these boundaries into place because I'm having reactions because of them. And I need to change my lifestyle. And I think blogging was helpful for me too, because I don't really know if my friends read it, but I was, I could point them to it and say like, here's all of my thoughts, like, and here's exactly what I've been going through. And I don't have to tell all 20 of my friends, the same exact experience, you know, what it's like having an allergy kind of evolve and change. And so I liked having it as something I could point friends and family to just personally for myself too. I think that validates your point more because people see it online and most people are going to look at something online and be really, well, they must be serious about this. It's not just them changing their mind. I've also gone on your blog and read a few things. I found all of them like really cool anecdotes and like, like you're talking about like more of the story of your life and learning how you live through it. And I think you were very open and honest. So I do think it's very important to go check out her blog. But the other thing is, is like, I wanted to ask you about was you said something about writing a book and I wanted to know if you could talk to us about it or are you still doing that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Of course. So I am still writing the book. I've been working on the manuscript since before the pandemic and I'm currently seeking an agent uh, to help me kind of with getting it to publish into the masses and that kind of thing. If I don't end up getting an agent who wants to take it on, I'll self-publish it. But I've worked on it so many times. I feel like I've kind of written it like three times, but not understood how to write a book because I'm not like a author who went to school for it or anything. But basically it's raising awareness of uh, food allergies and the current issues that I think could be changed to help support individuals with food allergies. So I really kind of want to like raise the alarm, have it be kind of a radical book, honestly, of like, this is what needs to change right now. We're in the food allergy awareness stage, like people who have food allergies and are impacted by food allergies, like the families and friends of people understand what it means to have like a serious food allergy, but a lot of the population doesn't. And so getting major bills passed, which is something that I'm 
recently kind of gotten interested in like food allergy policy, um, I'm realizing my big dreams that I have for that, like it's a little bit too advanced for where society is at with food allergies right now. So I want to kind of wrap Invisibly Allergic, my blog into like a creative nonfiction and just have basically like step-by-step what I want to see happen and almost manifest it um, in a book form and just see what happens with it. So I have the table of contents drafted and I've been sending it to agents and agencies for maybe the last like six to seven months. And I'm trying to reach out to agents and agencies that are specifically in wanting to raise disability awareness and are looking to, you know, raise and amplify voices of people who typically aren't heard. I think that, you know, our life stories are able to make changes happen. The question I have next is you are a working woman, um, I'm sure outside of just doing your book and how, what kind of challenges have you had for policy? Because we're talking about policies and that kind of thing. What kind of issues have you had with working, being able to work safely in environments and be included in work, you know, type of things? Because a lot of times they have a tendency to circle around food. How has that gone for you? Yeah. So college and work have definitely been hot topics with my food allergy. I've had negative experiences and really positive experiences, but to be honest, as my allergy evolved, like my strategy kind of evolved too. So when I first started working, I just tried to avoid being around peanuts, but if they were around, it was kind of okay. And then once I started realizing I was more airborne and having reactions because of possibly surface contamination and things like that, I had to start getting more strict in the workplace, would talk to my employer, see if they were willing to put certain accommodations in place. Like I think initially it was baby steps for sure, especially as my confidence grew to ask for accommodations. And I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I was owed that for a long time, but now I feel a lot more sure of like what I can ask for and being able to ask for my needs to be met. I think originally I had like my department would be without peanuts, but I remember I couldn't use the break room because they had so many peanut products in there and in the vending machines and in the refrigerator and everything that I would go into a reaction and then have to leave work. And it was like, this is silly. Like I'm not even able to do my job without some type of accommodation in place. So I would eat in my car and just totally avoid the break room. And then I just needed more support from my employer. So I ended up asking them to keep the building to be a peanut free space. And some employers would do it. Other ones would say no, but I I honestly started asking before I got interviewed someplace if they were willing to put those accommodations in place. And if they weren't, I didn't want to work there anyway. So that was kind of my mindset. And ever since I had the courage, honestly, to ask for what I needed. I've never been turned down by an employer to keep it as a peanut free space. It's never been perfect. People will, I'll see someone walking down the hall who will have a granola bar and I'm like, uh, you know, and then I'll go to HR and I'm like, Hey, like, I think someone might need a reminder. They'll send out an email blast, you know, put up signs again and take care of it for me. And so it's been really nice. Like, Overall, I'm not having to enforce it myself, but I will say I do work remote now. So I work from home and that's made everything so much easier, but it is isolating. So I'm not going to say like go remote and that takes care of all your problems because I don't particularly love the remote environment. I kind of fell into it, but basically in college, it was kind of the same, same thing. I had spoken to the, I can't remember what department it was, but they basically printed a paper for me that I would hand to my professor 
answer at the start of each class and it was signed from the college and it would say you need to make an announcement that says students do not have peanuts in this class it really helped me so it's been pretty good overall once I started asking for what I needed. Well, that's good. That's very good. It takes practice yes. to ask for things and to really believe that you are deserving of it. And people don't understand that. I was always okay, fine asking for my my kid because I'm mom. But then when it became my needs, it was kind of like, guys, you know, like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm like, what's my problem? I'm voicing it a lot more now because I still have a day job as well. And so I voice it a lot more than I used to, especially when you hear negativity or people talking about like they may have made bought pizza for every single person or whatever. And they're just, I can't eat that because of celiac disease. And uh, they're like, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, well, you get to eat the pizza. <laughs> I can't eat the pizza. And, you know, I could probably go make a huge deal for me, but I would rather go eat my food because then it's a whole nother thing because I'm definitely not going to eat a gluten-free pizza that's not certified and who knows what they're going to go get me, you know, that type of thing. So yeah. sometimes it's like, that's not a battle, but I will voice my, the fact that I can't eat it. So don't sit there and look at how, how ungrateful you are, you know, like yeah, it's it's pizza so again, you know, I'm like, oh, I can't even eat it. So just, yeah. Shut up, like, day again. We didn't even get the cinnamon toast type. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's one of those things that you start noticing and it's like, it's, I have to just hold my tongue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you often bring like, if you know, there's going to be like a pizza thing or like a bagel or something that you can't participate in, will you kind of bring your own version of it? Cause that's something I've noticed I'll start to do. So I don't feel left out. And I feel like it helps my mindset too. Yeah. So a lot of times where I'm at, I usually bring a lot of my food because almost everything's self-serve and sometimes things will happen and they'll do things like sporadically, like you don't necessarily know ahead of time that they're doing it, but most of the time, like I have a good rapport with most people and I can just be like, okay, well do this this or this or like can I have that with like they're doing caramel apples or whatever can I just have the apples yeah you know so so yeah but yeah do I do think that if you make your own version or if you do work for somebody that is like willing to go ahead and I mean my direct boss is really great like when we have appreciation week for our, our our department they make sure like that I can eat at this one plate like wherever they're you know, getting the food from, and then they're like, okay, listen, I need you to make sure blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, they will have everything down. And they were like, they changed their gloves. I watched them do it. You know, they're coming to me with the exact same things I would be doing while I was there. And most people are very supportive. I will say too, one thing I did at my old, my last employer, when I was still in person was I gave them a list of pre-packaged things that I can't have of certain brands. And they would sometimes give me those things. And it was really nice. I was like, this is great. I'm not paying for the snack. And it's prepackaged. Their fingers haven't touched it. Like, I really liked that concept. So like on Halloween or anything, of course, it was kept without allergens, which a lot of people actually expressed to me. They were like, I have a Trina allergy and this is helping me that now they're being more conscious about you know, the allergens that are being brought into the building on Valentine's Day, Christmas, Halloween, you know, all the holidays when it's food centered, they even changed out the vending machines. It wasn't like top nine allergen free, but they were able to take, you know, peanuts, tree nuts, and also add in some things to give more of a variety for people's, you know, needs and dietary restrictions. And the vending machine company was like, yeah, it's super easy for us to do. Like, just tell us what you want and we'll put it in there. So, you know, I was pretty impressed with my last employer with 
how they went about it and having the list of things that they could buy for me. And that way I knew for a fact it wasn't handled by someone who had peanuts or something like that. Yeah, that's really awesome. I'm glad they did that. I mean, that just makes me so happy. <laughs> it was it was a smaller company. I will say it's like one of those things where if you're at a larger place, I did not have any type of accommodations like that. Being at a smaller company, I found there's, I have more power in that way. Anyway, we're sidetracked a little bit, but with what you're talking about with the book, I can't wait to read it. You mentioned briefly when you were talking about the book about bills and legislation and that type of thing. Can you explain more about that? About the food allergy policy that I'm kind of getting? Yes. Yeah. So there's three that I kind of have my sights set on that are food allergy policies that have been passed around the U.S. successfully in multiple states and or cities, depending on what kind of bill they were. And since I don't have a policy background, I don't know enough about writing my own bill. That would be a cool thing I feel like for myself to explore one day. But at this stage, I'm kind of like dipping my toe into the food allergy policy space. And so there's two that are Louisville Metro specific uh, for our county. And then one that's a state, Kentucky state law specific. I have contacts with council members who are in the county specifically, and then one who's in the Senate. And I'm basically just crossing my fingers that they want to uh, introduce the, the laws. So I didn't write them or anything like that. But Honestly, they were things I thought were already kind of being put into place. And when I learned that, you know, schools aren't required, well, I I did know schools weren't required to provide epinephrine or be trained on how to use it. But, you know, when I start thinking about it more, I'm like, that needs to be happening. So that's one of the bills that I want to introduce. There's another one with daycares having epinephrine and I don't even have children, you know, it's just like something that I want to be done in society and they've passed elsewhere successfully and are changing lives. So if Mm -hmm. one life can be saved because of a bill that gets introduced, it just takes a person to introduce it. And then a council, you know, someone in government to want to introduce it. So that's what I'm trying to do in Kentucky with these small bills, but could be powerful if they can get passed. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And no, you may not have children, but you were a child and you survived with a food allergy and you know how difficult that is. And I think honestly, sometimes I think the only reason that my youngest kind of survived that time frame is because we were lucky enough and, you know, basically privileged enough that my mother lived with us and was able to take care of of them and they didn't have to go to a daycare Mm. and it's just so difficult. And I know so many parents that have lost kids, unfortunately. And I mean, I think that's our greatest fear as parents, but I mean, it's also our fears. We both have food allergies. It could just, it could happen in the workplace. It can happen anywhere. I mean, people don't know what signs to look for. I teach everybody that I know that I work with closely. They know where my EpiPen is. They know that like when I'm, you know, like things that people don't think about, even though I'm in healthcare, they don't necessarily always think about, oh, and a thigh, like I need my EpiPen, you know, like give me. That's something too, that you had me kind of reminded about, but at my work and at my school, I had a sign on my backpack and I had a sign on my cubicle saying epinephrine's in my purse, you know, and it was like, I just need people to know that. And I know they make medical bracelets. I have one that says, you know, um, peanut allergy, epinephrine on, on hand on me, but yeah, it is. It's like, what if people aren't looking for those signs, you know, you can only do so much to protect yourself and, and epinephrine's expensive. So the more places it can get provided in and people trained on it, the better I feel. Mm-hmm. 
And there's so many people, it's amazing to me still that so many people don't understand what a, a food allergy is. Yes, that's true too. I know. I think it is a lot. There's a lot of misconceptions around food allergies. And I think part of it is that everyone has different experiences. So maybe they know one person who has a food allergy and they're like, I just get hyper from it. And then, you know, another person is like you and me, you know, it's anaphylaxis. So there, there is a why I, I can understand it sometimes, but then at the same time, like i also try to really raise awareness that it is a spectrum. They are not all the same. So if you know one person with a food allergy, it doesn't apply to everybody who has food allergies. Exactly. And it's, it's still just amazing to me sometimes that people will doubt what you're saying, because Mm -hmm. like you said, their, their, their friend that they know can't eat peanuts, but then went ahead and ate that cookie that was processed around peanuts, you know, and they're like, that would not be good for, for you. Right. But, and then cross contact, cross, you know, contamination going into that. And they're like, what, what do you mean? Right. So <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I can go and do a full-blown anaphylaxis episode without ingesting anything like food. You know, I could touch like a library book and then touch my lip and then have a reaction. I think that's something too, that people don't understand. Like you don't have to be eating something and in the act of eating uh, to have an allergic reaction. It could be something that someone hands you that's contaminated or, you know, you accidentally touch something and get into your car, touch the driving, the, you know, steering wheel and then forget. And then you get into your car the next day and you touch your face. Like it, it could just, it lingers and it doesn't go away like germs do or something like that. Um, No, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, I know. It's like one of those things that doesn't get talked about enough that it, it, especially with COVID, I'm like, I wish food allergies could be, you know, contaminants could go away with the spray of alcohol, but they don't. Yeah, exactly. Like, please wash your hands and then sanitize them. Because if you put that sanitizer on your hand, you're just gluing that allergen to your hand. You did absolutely nothing. It kills germs, not proteins. Yep, exactly. So I think, yeah, it's like your phone, you start thinking about the surfaces that could be contaminated and it's endless if you use public transit, you know, it just, it literally can go on infinitely. Yeah, exactly. You're right. I do think that people don't necessarily validate all of our experiences as much as they should. Yeah. Well said. Uh, Thank you. Zoe, I could talk to you forever, literally, I think. But before we end the show, do you have anything that you'd like to go over or anything that you want to address before we end? No, honestly, I really appreciate you having me on here. I'm so glad that I met you at Rainbow Blossom because now we have this friendship and I feel like we've got so much to talk about off the podcast and I can't wait to listen to your other episodes as they come out throughout the rest of the year. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming here. I hope you get to come back eventually and I can't wait to see all the stuff that you have coming out. So definitely, you know, make sure you let us know on Allergy Dragon and we will definitely push it out there for you. Thank you. You're welcome. And of course, come to another cooking class. I mean, you have to do that. Definitely. Yeah, I'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, this is the end of the episode. If you have any questions or you want to go check out Zoe, all of her information will be down below and listed on the links. If you're watching this on YouTube, obviously go ahead and subscribe, ring the bell, comment, all that good stuff. And we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. And bye. Bye.